And so without further ado, we welcome Pastor Deborah Oakley. Thank you so much for saying that. Amen. You know what I love about your pastor, Pastor Yvette? I'll tell you what I love about her. Yes. But this stands out to me. I love that she gets up here and makes herself vulnerable and real to every one of you. That's our DNA, isn't it? It is. We were so blessed to be a part of Shady Grove Church and to be able to uh, sit under that worship and cut our teeth in the presence of God and to learn how to experience him the way that we did. It was an awesome season, um, a time of revival and God pouring himself out on us. And, and I'm eternally grateful for that. And I am so grateful to be here and so excited. And God has a word this morning. Are you ready? Yeah. Did you get a good night's sleep? Yeah. I know the No. <laughs> I know the girls that came with me probably did not because I spent a short time with them and I was exhausted just from the 30 minutes I hung out with them. They were having fun in the Lord. It's okay to have fun in the Lord, isn't it? All right, we're going to jump right in today. Yesterday we learned that abiding means that we are connected to Jesus, who is our true vine, and that we live there, we dwell there. We make our home there in his presence, and he gives us the spiritual energy that we cannot do for ourselves to produce fruit. And we actually had a change of address. We moved. We packed our bags, and we moved from a place called fear to a place called faith. We moved from a place called anger to a place called self-control. And we moved from a place called bitterness to a place called forgiveness. We had a change of address. And no matter which place you moved from, we all moved to the same place. And that place was abiding in Christ. Amen? All right, today I'm going to be talking about three keys to abiding in Christ. And John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will desire And it will be done for you. That's a powerful promise in the word of God. And this passage gives us three keys to abiding. First of all, if you abide in me, that is worship, the presence of God. And my words abide in you. The second key is abiding in the word. What you will ask, what you desire. The third key is prayer. So worship the word and prayer are three of the keys. I'm sure there are others, but these are three that I want to look at this weekend. And worship and the word and prayer are essential. And that means you worship whether you feel like it or not. You make worshiping God and church attendance a priority. You don't just worship alone at home. That's a big part of it. But you worship corporately as well. That means you don't just read the word when you feel like it. You don't just read the word when you need something from God. You make reading the word a priority. Ask yourself today, are these things priorities in your life? That that means you don't just pray when you're in trouble or you want something from God. That means you make prayer a daily priority. You spend time in God's word. So those are our three keys that we're going to look at today. 
And first we're going to talk about abiding in worship. We just read the scripture, John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me. So to abide in Jesus, remember we learned this yesterday, it means to live there. You see, Psalms 22, 3 says, God inhabits the praises of his people. And that word inhabit means to dwell. In other words, God lives in our praises. When we praise him, he's there. He is there. He shows up. So when we worship, we are dwelling or abiding with him. So let's define worship, okay? The word worship comes from an old English word that is the word worship. Worship. It's two words, which means to attribute worth to something. To give worth or value. And that, that word was, that was used to address royalty. So when someone came into a room that was a royal status, like a king or something like that, everyone would bow down and say, your worship, your worship. And they would show honor and esteem to someone of royalty. That is where we get our word worship from. So in the same way, When the king of kings and the Lord of lords enters the room, we bow down in our hearts and say, your worship, you are worthy to be praised. You see, worship is experiencing the presence of God and then responding appropriately. Here's how Webster's defines it. It's extreme devotion, intense love or admiration. You can't overdo it when it comes to worshiping God. It's, and listen, it's not just something we do on Sunday mornings or at a conference like this. It's a lifestyle. We abide, live, dwell, remain, stay in worship. You don't have to be in church to worship God. You can worship God wherever you are. You have a private place in the depth of your being. An inner sanctuary within you where God dwells. And it is from that place that you can commune with him moment by moment by moment. Remember, abide means to occupy a dwelling place. And that is what we do when we worship. It's the place that we live. We dwell there. We abide there. We don't worship God from a distance. We don't stand afar off and worship God. We dwell and abide right where he is. And today, I want to speak to you out of the passage of, out of Exodus 33. You can turn there if you would like. But it is a story out of the Bible that so perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about today. You see, the children of Israel were traveling to the promised land. And they were out in the wilderness. And all, all along the way, they would stop and they would set up camp. And then Moses would go outside of the camp, and he set up a tent of meeting. And that is where the presence of God was. Now let me read to you out of uh, verse 8 of Exodus 33. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And that's referring to the tent of of meeting. As Moses went into the tent the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. 
And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and they worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Now here's what I want you to notice out of that passage of scripture. In verse 8, all of the people stood where? At the entrance to their tents. Verse 10 again says, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. So the children of Israel stood at their tent door instead of going into the tabernacle. They stood at their tent door instead of going in where God dwelt. They worshipped from afar at their tent door. They did not go to the tabernacle. But where was Moses? Verse 9 says, Moses went into the tent. You see, Moses went to the tabernacle where God dwelt. Moses didn't worship from a distance. Moses went into the tent where God was. Moses dwelt where God dwelt. Moses was abiding. The children of Israel stood from afar at their tent doors, and they worshiped from a distance. But Moses entered into the tabernacle. The children of Israel were tent door worshipers. Moses was a tabernacle worshiper. Come on, which are you? Which one are you? You see, many of us are worshiping God at our tent door. Instead of drawing near, we stay at this safe distance. Don't you get too close. Don't get too close to God. He might ask you to do something you don't want to do. That might change your life the way you know it. Don't get too close. Fortunately, unlike the children of Israel, we have the Spirit of God living in us. We don't have to go to a tent to worship God. But figuratively, we're still worshiping at our tent door. We're still staying afar. You see, tent door worshipers don't have a passion for God's presence. Tent door worshipers are satisfied with worshiping God once a week or on Sunday or just at a conference. Then they go their way. Tent door worshipers come strolling in late on Sunday mornings, and and they really don't get much out of it. Tent door worshipers only worship if they feel like it. Well, I don't quite feel like it today, so I'm just going to stand here and not be a part of this. Tent door worshipers are more concerned about what everybody else thinks than they are about what God thinks. What are people going to think if I raise my hand? What are people going to think if I come down to that altar? What are people going to think if I dance or I shout or I cry? Tent door worshipers care more about that. Tent door worshipers worship their way. Well, I'm just not that demonstrative. I'm not really an expressive person, so I'm worshiping God in my heart. Tent door worshipers like to complain about worship. Did you notice how loud that music was? You know what? That music wasn't loud enough. Why do they always play those songs that I don't know? Why do they sing those same songs over and over and over? I don't care that much about those song choices. But on the other hand, tabernacle worshipers, they have a passion for God. Nothing is going to keep them from God. Tabernacle worshipers, they prime that pump. 
They're worshiping God when they get up on Sunday morning. They're worshiping God in the car on the way to church. They worship all week long. They don't have to come in and have somebody else drag them on into that presence of God. They know they're priests and heirs and royalty and have that inheritance in God. They come in and they begin to worship because they've been worshiping all week long. They care more about what God thinks than what everybody else thinks. They have more of a fear of God than they do a fear of man. Tabernacle worshipers worship God's way. They, tabernacle worshipers, usually are on time for worship because they treasure every moment of corporate worship. I know people at our church who shorten their worship intentionally. They just show up late every Sunday. They don't have to worship as long. Tabernacle worshipers, though, they have a passion that overrides all those personal preferences. They could worship to Mary had a little lamb. Yeah, that's right. And his fleece was white as snow. Tabernacle worshipers just want to be in God's presence. They want to worship God. They want to go into the tent. They don't want to stand afar off at their tent door. Listen, Psalms 27.4. They understand this. One thing, one thing have I asked from the Lord. And that will I seek. That I may dwell. There's our word. Abide. In the house of the Lord. All the days of my life. In the house of the Lord, not at my tent door, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So I ask you today, which are you? If you're a tent door worshiper, God can change that. Don't stand off at a distance holding back or and not entering into his presence. Give God your very best. That's what it takes, church. It takes giving God our very best. There's a legend. It's about an ancient village in Spain. And the villagers learned that the king was coming. He was coming to to their town. So they decided, let's have a great big celebration. But it was a poor village. They didn't have a whole lot of money. So here's what they decided they were going to do. Everyone was going to bring a large cup full of their best wine, and they were going to pour it into a great big vat, and then they were going to serve it to the king. This is how they were going to honor him. So the day of the king's arrival came, the people lined up on the streets to honor the king, and they poured their gift into the, into the vat. But what, was, what had happened, what no one knew was, each person, because they were so poor, had decided you know what, I don't have the money really to bring my best wine. So they watered it down. They watered it down and they just put a little wine in there, but it was mainly water. So they all lined up and they poured their best wine, supposedly, into the vats. And the king came along. And the king went to take a drink and he picked up the goblet and he put it to his lips and he took a drink and these words came from his mouth. This tastes just like water. Well, that's because it was. The poor villagers had given the king a watered-down version of their best. Instead of bringing their best, they gave him a watered-down version. They were thinking, oh, someone else will do it. Others will bring their best wine. Others will fill up this vat. 
Nobody will notice if I'm not doing it. And the king wasn't honored. You see, and that's what happens when we're tent door worshipers. It waters down the worship experience. You see, if we have a bunch of tent door worshipers who haven't worshipped all week long, who are standing at a distance, who are expecting all those tabernacle worshipers to do all the praising, it waters down our worship, and our king will not be honored. Jesus wants us all to bring our best gift. Our second key is abiding in the word. John 15, 7 says... If you abide in me, that was worship, and my words abide in you. You see, as Christians, we're supposed to be people of the word. Bible reading, Bible believing followers of Christ. I know people who say, I believe the Bible. I believe every word of the Bible. But then you know what? They hardly ever read it. How do you know you believe it? Do you know that during a typical week, Only 45% of American Christians even read their Bible, 45%. Of that 45%, just 12% claim to read God's Word daily. And 55% don't even bother to open their Bible once a week. Yet we're supposed to be Bible believers. You see, if the only Bible you get is on Sunday morning, You're spiritually starving. You are spiritually starving. And that would be like eating one meal a week. Could you live on that? You wonder why you have no strength when things get tough and you've got to resist the enemy. That is because you're not in the Word. You see, there's a place for preaching. And there's a place for teaching. Obviously, I'm up here this morning preaching, right? And you're blessed. You're so blessed. I know you are because I've listened to Pastor Allen's messages online. You're blessed with pastors that rightly divide the word and feed you a really well-balanced diet. But there's also a place for feeding ourselves. Amen. 60% of Americans cannot name five of the Ten Commandments. 82% of Americans think saying, God helps those who help themselves, is in the Bible. You thought it was, didn't you? (laughs) 12% believe Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. (laughs) I love that one. (laughs) Many think that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Oh, come on. This reminds me of Jay Leno out on the street, you know, asking these questions. 25% don't even know what we celebrate on Easter. That's sad, girls. That's sad. No wonder Christians are living less and less like Christ. It's because they know less and less of the Word. We'll never believe more than we know. We'll never abide where we don't go. We've got to get in the Word. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Why do you get in the word? So you will be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know what that word complete means? It means mature, mature. You will never grow spiritually mature apart from abiding in God's Word. 
Now, we all know the scripture. We love this verse. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But do you know what comes before that? What it's contingent upon? John 8, 31. If you continue in my word, and you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Change in our lives comes as we continue in the word, day after day after day. And that Greek word, continue, guess what that word is? Meno. That's our word for abide. It means to be at home in. Are you at home in his word? Do you just want to get up every morning? The Bible says, I found your words and I ate them. And they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. It means to remain there. To continue means this. To be at home in. To live there. You see, whatever you need in your life comes from abiding in the word. Amen. You see, Jesus said, those who abide in my word are my disciples. So abiding in the word is just more than occasionally reading your Bible. It's much more than that. It's more than hearing a sermon once a week. It means to read the Word regularly and then to meditate on that Word. And that Word is hidden in your heart. And you think about it all day long. You meditate on it. Joshua 1.8, don't let the the, the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it. Day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I'm here today to tell you some of the difficulties you're experiencing in your life are because you're not abiding in worship and you're not abiding in the Word. And you keep wondering, well, why don't I have, why aren't things working out in my life? Why am I always discouraged? Why does things always end up being disappointing in my life? Are you abiding? You see, successful people don't just read the Bible. They meditate on it. They think about it. They speak it. They do it. They live it. How often do you speak God's word throughout your day? They live in the Word for knowing and for growing. They live in the Word for perceiving and believing. They live in the Word for information and transformation. It is the Word of God that will transform your life. But immature Christians live on spiritual junk food. They don't have a healthy diet of the Word. And then they wonder, oh God, where are you? Why don't I have any strength, God? Where's the wisdom you promised? Where's my direction? They have no life and no growth, but they're not in the Word. You see, if we're going to grow as Christians, we need to get God's Word off the shelves and into ourselves. Into ourselves. You see, we have to read it for it to feed us. There's no magic. I can't wave a wand or lay hands on you and you just be, God can do a miracle, yes. But if he does it, it's going to be through his word. But there's no magic cure. There's no instant maturity. It's little by little we grow. Christian growth comes through hardcore, gutsy perseverance of reading God's word. Come on, ladies. Make that commitment right now. Right now. You ain't been reading that word Declare today you're going to get in God's word every day. You're going to speak it out of your mouth. 
we got to stop being lazy Christians. Then when you're down, it'll lift you up. Then when you're lost, it'll show you the way. Then when you're fearful, you'll have courage. When you're hurting, you'll find healing. When you're weak, you'll be strong. When you doubt, you'll have faith. That's how God's word is. When you're in despair, you'll find hope. When you're spiritually hungry, it's going to feed you so you're full. And when you're spiritually dead, it will give you life. This is the word of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's the word. It's the word. Jesus is the word. You get in the word, you're getting in Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Worship and the Word. Now, before I go on to my final point, Jesse, would you come on up? This is Jesse Grunwald. Jesse uh, goes to Grace Fellowship Church. She's like a daughter in the faith to me. She is a daughter in the faith to me. And Jesse believes God has a calling on her life to preach. Jesse has a heart for God. She's been saved three years. She's already in Bible college. She's in the Word. She's volunteering at church. When the church doors are open, Jesse and her husband are there because they love God and they want to serve and they want to minister. Jesse has a call on her life to preach. And so I asked her if she would teach today one point. Now, let me say this. I gave you a, a really good definition of abide, right? But there's one definition of abide, abide show you how God works. That I didn't get into. It's, it's, it's also defined as expectancy. Isn't that interesting? But that was different than the other, other parts of it. So I thought, you know what? I'm not going to go that direction today. And I didn't. Then I asked Jessie if she would share. So she started studying. And guess what definition of abide she discovered? I was blown away when she said, do you know abide also means expectancy? I'm like, oh, God is so good. You see how he works? So this morning, Jesse's going to share a few minutes on, uh, on this definition of abide, and then we'll go to our last point. Go for it, girl. By the way, this is her first time ever. We've been learning about abiding in the vine and bearing fruit for the glory of God. According to Scripture, apart from him, we can do nothing. Right. So our duty in the vine is to abide. Amen. There are a lot of meanings for the word abide, but the one that really speaks to my faith is to wait in a state of expectancy. To me, waiting and expecting God to move takes faith. And in fact, Hebrews 11:5 through 6 says that our faith pleases him, and so to the degree that he rewards those that diligently seek him. He even says that if you seek him with your whole heart, Amen. you will find him. Amen. What that is telling me is that I should expect to personally experience him. And for me, that's yes. what it's all about. From my experience, abiding in the vine is the place where I experience God. But I also know that I must experience God to abide in the vine. I mean, I can pray, I can fellowship, I can get into his word, but even, even that is unbalanced at times. I had to ask myself, how is it that I abide? How is it that I stay yes. so focused on him? And the truth is, it's because of him and because of who he is. Amen. He is the vine. Not because of who I am or who I'm not. I'm only the branch. This truth causes me to pursue him and know him and experience him. This truth draws me near to him. Amen. I'd like to share a little part of my testimony, the part that reflects what we are learning about here today. 
I want to show you how God is the reason I'm able to abide. When I made the decision to follow Christ, I was struggling with a 10-year drug addiction and trying to convince myself that I could still use and pursue God. Of course, I wanted to quit, but I didn't have a clue as to what my first step was. I didn't know it at the time, but being high remained a barrier to his presence for the entire first year of my salvation. I read the Bible. I carried it with me everywhere, and I even slept with it in an attempt to fill God in my life. During that year, I continued in my ways, knowing fully well of the commitment I made in giving my life over to God. My first visit to my church, Grace Fellowship Church, was my first encounter with God's presence. I was actually high. I was coming down from being high, and the very first thing I noticed is God is holy. I was able to see my sin not just for what it was, but how it compared to God's holiness. I was now able to see how it affected my knowing him and not experiencing his presence before. I decided then I wanted to learn how to get into his presence away from church and on my own. One of my very next visits to church, I learned of the verse, Luke 9.23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. How do we become a true disciple and bear fruit for the glory of God? Well, first I have to to deny myself and follow after him. I figured that if I was going to deny myself that high... God had to be up to something. <laughs> he wanted me to deny myself so that he could lead me out of my addiction. To be honest with you, denying myself and going down in what I call that pit of agony was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, but that is where I found him. I experienced God in denying myself. I wasn't able to quit drugs overnight, but the desire to use became less and less, and the desire for him became greater. And now I'm going on two years being drug free. (laughs) Okay, but but looking back on when I began this journey, one of my biggest concerns was, am I going to be happy doing what God says? I realized while being in my sin, yes, I was miserable, but my life, as unpredictable as it was, I was used to it. In the beginning, I contemplated that greatly, but I wasn't able to escape him. In fact, I was completely consumed with thoughts of him. During that time in my life, I found a verse that helped me to keep moving forward and press through the difficult times of my life in quitting drugs. I knew I had to get to a certain point in building my strength back up in order to not think about it every day. James 1, 3 through 4 says, Consider it all joy when you encountered various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I don't know about you, but having patience has everything to do with waiting, and in this case, expecting God to move. It is impossible to abide in the Lord if you're going your own, your own way one day and choosing his way another. And abiding in the vine doesn't happen overnight either. Just because I stand up here talking to you about abiding and bearing fruit doesn't mean that I don't struggle or that it wasn't a struggle getting there. It has taken me about three years to find that place of consistency, and I imagine it will take the rest of my life to maintain it. The only way to get to that place is by consistently seeking him. It's continually reining yourself back into him when you see yourself drifting away, and it will happen. So how did I get to this place of abiding? Through obedience, through denying myself, 
choosing his way over my way and expecting God to provide answers. I listened for his voice and I asked him to speak to me. I expressed to him that I wanted it to be him. I wanted to serve him and know him, but I didn't know what that looked like or how to make that happen. What God has given to me and provided me is how I abide in him. I abide and he provides. You could also say that while I wait, he provides. He has given me a church home, examples of what it looks like to follow him, and he showers me with wisdom when I ask for answers. Experiencing him is what keeps me going. Knowing him is what keeps me there in that place, abiding and waiting. So I ask myself, what is required of me? And his word tells me, my whole heart. Seek God with your whole heart and you will find him. You will meet with him personally. He will be enough and you will abide in him. That's it. Yay! Yay! You did it. You did wonderful. It was awesome. <laughs> Look at that, a standing ovation. I'm so proud of her. Listen, I remember the first time I ever spoke. Literally, my, my legs and my knees did not stop shaking. The whole time I was like this, I felt like surely everybody could see it. So that was amazing, Jesse. Amazing. I love that new and, you know, just fresh word from God from a heart that is so pure and loves the Lord and, and Jesse loves the Lord. All right, point number three. We've, we heard about abiding in worship, abiding in prayer, I mean abiding in the word. Now... We're going to look at abiding in prayer. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, that's prayer, and it will be done for you. A man arrived in a city one cold morning. As he stepped off the train, he noticed that everywhere he looked, people were barefooted. No one was wearing shoes. Everything else seemed normal, but no one was wearing any shoes. So he just really hurriedly hailed a cab, and he got into the taxi cab, and he looked down, and he noticed, lo and behold, the cab driver didn't have on any shoes. So he asked the driver, I'm just wondering, why aren't you wearing shoes? Don't you believe in shoes in this town? And the man said, yes. That is the question. Why don't we wear shoes? Well, the same thing happened at the hotel. No one was wearing shoes, not the doorman or the bellboy. And so it was the same in the coffee shop. And this man's really starting to wonder because a man's sitting there drinking coffee and he had on no shoes. So he's just getting really curious. So he said to the man at the counter, I noticed you're not wearing shoes. Does no one in this town know about shoes? And the man replied, of course I know about shoes. So the guy said, well, then why don't you wear them? And the man replied, that is the question. Why don't we wear them? So the man was getting frustrated. He walked out onto the snowy street, and everybody was barefooted. And so he asked a standerby, why does no one in this town wear shoes? Doesn't anybody here believe in shoes? And the man turned to him and said, yes, we know about shoes. 
We even believe in shoes. You see that building over there? That's a shoe factory. And every week we gather there. And a man tells us how wonderful shoes are. Well, then why don't you wear them, the man asked. Yes, that is the question. So the man walked away just shaking his head in amazement in a city full of people who believed in shoes but never wore them. The same could be said about us and the church and prayer. You see, we believe in prayer. Sure we do. We always say we do. Yes, I believe in prayer. And we know what it means in our lives. Of course we do. We gather and we learn about prayer, don't we? Yes, then why don't we pray? Yes, that is the question. And you see, the tragic, tragic dilemma of the church is not unanswered prayer. It's unoffered prayer. Come on, church. You see, Martin Luther said this. When I have a busy day, I pray one hour. When I have a really busy day, I pray two hours. Because busyness seems to be the excuse that we use for not praying. But John fifteen seven says we must ask. Now, I want us to look at that word ask in that verse. The Greek word is the word iteo. You can see I like Greek words. Meno for abide, iteo is the Greek word for ask. Listen to what that word means. It means to be adamant in requesting. This was a little, this was new for me. This was different. Adamant in requesting or demanding help to get your needs met. Have you ever thought about being adamant or demanding with God? Now, this word does, this word does not mean rude or arrogant in prayer. As a matter of fact, it's used for a inferior or, or a, um, a person addressing a superior. It's like you're addressing someone who is a superior. That person that is addressing them is insistent, and he may demand, but he does it with respect and with honor. And it means a full expectation of receiving. Not a partial expectation, but a full expectation. It has no doubt, no doubt, that abiding in prayer earns the right to pray authoritatively and to expect to receive. It was what Jesse was just talking about. Those who abide in prayer, now hear me, have that privilege to iteo, to adamantly request and demand what you need respectfully to God who is our superior. You see, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. We have the privilege of going before God. All of you, I'm sure, have heard of Brother Lawrence. He was a great man of God in the 1600s. (laughs) Got that right. The book that he wrote is called The Practice of the Presence of God. And this man was known for his intimacy with God. People sought him out because of his peace in his life. And his secret was knowing how to abide in prayer, even though, you know what he did? Listen, he spent most of his life 
working in a kitchen. We are without excuse. You see, he believed that as he cooked meals, as he ran errands, as he scrubbed pots, he did it alongside of God. He knew how to go to that inner place with God. And one of his famous sayings refers to his kitchen. Listen to this. I began to live as if there was no one save God and me in the world. The time of business does not differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and the clatter of my kitchen, while several people are at the same time calling for different things, I still possess God as great of, in as great of tranquility as if I were upon my knees, abiding in that inner tabernacle. Susanna Wesley, you've heard of her. She was the mother of 19 children, including John and Charles Wesley, who were the founders of the Methodist movement. And John preached over 40,000 sermons about a personal relationship with God. And you see, Susanna had one goal as a mother, to raise her children to honor God and to spend eternity in heaven. And her secret to accomplishing this was her God and her apron. Her God and her apron. What would Susanna would do, because she knew the importance of abiding, so when she needed to pray, and those 19 kids were running all over that house, she would take her apron, and she would pull it up over her head, and now all of a sudden there she was with her, and God, listen, ladies, whatever it takes. I'm tell- Come on. I used to go into my closet and close the door, and I had a CD player and a Kleenex box and anointing oil, and I anoint myself, and I would get after God and pray. Ask my children. They still have wounds like, where's mom? What happened to mom? <laughs> so her children knew when they saw that apron over mama's head, oh, boy, we better not disturb mom. And you see, when we abide in prayer, there's an exchange. Let me tell you, you're on the receiving end of that. You exchange your fear for his faith. You exchange your anger for his peace. You exchange your depression for his joy. And you exchange your weakness for his strength. That's where you get a change of address, ladies. That's where you move. The place where you live and abide. You no longer live in fear and anger and depression and weakness. You now live in faith and peace and joy and strength as you abide in prayer. But the key, the key, because we all want the faith and the peace and the joy and the strength. But here's the key. It's the first part of that verse. If, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. You see, here's the thing. Here's how you can adamantly demand something of God. Because if you abide in his words, you will never ask for something that is outside of his will. Come on. But you got to be one of those that abides or it ain't happening. But when you know his heart and you're with him, when you iteo, when you seize God's will for your life and you respectfully demand it, it will be manifested. No abiding, no iteo. 
No abiding, no answer. John 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You can come boldly to God. I'm going to tell you about a parable. One of my favorites. It's out of the book of Luke. Um, and it's a parable about boldness. Luke 11.5. Suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to that friend at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me. And I have nothing to set before him. Now, in Bible times... It was customary that travelers would come by at midnight, at the midnight hour. They would go through a town, and everyone living in that town knew that a midnight traveler could come by at the midnight hour to get bread. And they knew the importance of being prepared, of having bread prepared. So to be out of bread literally meant you were not prepared. So this man's not prepared. A friend comes to his door. He doesn't have any bread. So he goes to his friend's house. He starts pounding on the door. He's asking anyway, even though he isn't prepared. And here's his friend's response in verse 7. Don't bother me. The door is already locked. And my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. The man tells him, no. You've come to my house. You're not prepared. I'm not giving you any bread. But that's not the end of the story. Listen to verse 8. I tell you. Though he would not get up and give him bread because he was his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he gets up and gave him as much as he needed. Now, this is what I want you to see. He got up even though the midnight seeker was unprepared, but because he had the boldness to go and ask for what he needed, That is why his friend got up. Now, many preachers interpret that word boldness as persistence. And you could could interpret it that way. But you know what that word in the Greek really means? I love this word. It's a big, fancy word. Importunity. Say it with me. Importunity. And importunity means shamelessness. You think about it. He was unprepared. You ever feel unprepared? And you think, oh, gosh, I haven't done my part. I sure can't ask God for bread. And what does bread represent? Bread represents the word, doesn't it? So he was unprepared, but he was shameless. And the lesson here, it revolves around this key thought. The reason that midnight seeker got what he asked for was not because he was persistent. It was not because he was asking his friend. It was because he had the nerve to ask. I love that. He had the nerve to ask. Do you have the nerve to ask God? Do you have big expectations? You see, it takes a lot of boldness to get up at midnight and go pound on your friend's door, wake him up, wake his children up. You'd have to set aside what looks appropriate. You'd have to set aside what seems normal protocol, what seems proper So the message here is so very clear. God wants us to ask him freely and boldly. Boldness is your privilege. You can approach God with unashamed forwardness. You don't have to come crying.
on your tummy all ashamed and, and scared. No, you can approach God boldly. You should never hesitate because you think, I'm unworthy, or because you think God is distant, or because you think you're uncertain. God, am I asking for too much? God says, ask, and you will receive. Because Jesus, he strikes a death blow to our hesitancy in Luke eleven nine. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Come on, knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Ask. Call on God in the midst of your circumstances. Seek. Pursue God like a starving man. Like this is your last meal. And knock, strike at every obstacle that's in your way. Like the friend who pounded on that door. And he overcame every obstacle between him and his provision. Don't give up. Boldness asks and keeps on asking. But you don't understand, Pastor Deb. I've been asking for... Three weeks. Okay, you don't understand, Pastor Deb. I've been asking for three years. I've had some prayers in my life that I asked for two decades. Two decades. Never give up. You know what? God is always on time. Heaven's storehouse isn't in short supply. God isn't rationing out answers to prayer Oh, well, I answered enough prayers this week. Sorry, I ran out of answers. No, worship, the word and prayer, three keys to abiding. Do you want to succeed in your life? Abide in worship. Do you want to succeed in your marriage? Abide in worship, the word and prayer. Do you want to succeed against the enemy? Abide in worship, the word and prayer. As a matter of fact, it's so very important to abide that when the enemy is attacking us and Satan comes against us, if we're not abiding, then we're going to just crumble. But you know, have you ever noticed that it's easy to abide? When everything is going our way. But it's a whole different story when Satan comes at us like a flood. When life is good and God's favoring us and our prayers are being answered and there's money in the bank and our husband listens and agrees with us. Well, don't count on that. (laughs) When our children obey us, when our friends accept us, when our boss appreciates us, when our dreams come true. But what about the other 364 days of the year? <laughs> oh, about three years ago, my husband and I, oh, we were in the best season of our lives. I'm telling you, everything we touched just turned to gold. Everyone around us saw it. It was like two years of, of almost total bliss. It was like someone had flipped a switch, and we were on top of the world. It was awesome. I thought, oh, this is always going to be this way. I did. I'm bad about that. Our marriage was awesome. We were having great health. Our finances were being blessed. Our children and our grandchildren were all behaving. There is a God. (laughs) Our church was doing amazingly great. 
we had a dream team staff, and we were growing exponentially. And for the first time in eight years, I was able to turn over the role of executive pastor to another staff pastor. That's a whole other message in itself. I am not an executive pastor. But, you know, you wear a lot of hats, and you do what you have to do. But I'd, have, I'd probably burned out about six times in that role, and I didn't think I had another ounce left in me. So I was able to turn that over to somebody else, a staff pastor, and that was a long way to dream for me. Life could not have been better. Season of blessing and favor. Then someone switched to flip. Flip. <laughs> Someone switched a flip. They did. We'd been flipping really good, and they they switched that flip. (laughs) We got to laugh at ourselves, but somebody did flip a switch. Let me tell you. Our church had sent us on a trip to Italy uh, to celebrate. All expense paid. This was part of the good two years there. um, To celebrate 25 years in ministry and 10 years at the church. And when we got back, that flip, that switch had gotten flipped. The weekend we came home, I mean, we came home from Italy, we get a phone call from one of our uh, pastors that he was resigning. Now, that might not be that big of a deal, and in some cases it might even be cause to celebrate. (laughs) But in this instant, it was catastrophic for us because that particular individual was our worship pastor. He was also the executive pastor that we had turned – that I had turned that role over to. Nothing was wrong. He had been in in the past, he had been um, out on the road with a band, and he felt God leading him to go back to that. So he was our worship pastor, the executive pastor that I had given that job to, and his wife was our children's pastor. Now, these were two individuals that we thought would be with us for the, the long haul, the long run. Listen, God knows everything, doesn't he? They were the ones that we counted on for pretty much everything. And they were friends that we loved. And we, didn't, we just didn't see this coming. And then three key positions and two people that we loved and counted on were leaving. That turned our whole lives upside down. Now, why am I telling you all this? Here's why. In the years that God was pouring out his favor, oh, man, I was the poster child for abiding. I mean, you look up the word abide in the dictionary, and my picture was there. You know, I was praising God, and hallelujah, God, you're so good. Wow, faith. I had faith like you would not believe. Oh, God was so good. But all of a sudden, everything changes. And now it's that hangdog look. Oh, God, God. God, I know you're faithful, but where are you, God? God, why are you doing this to us? God, what's going on here, Lord? And you see, it wasn't so easy anymore. But let me tell you what I did. I pressed in. Let me tell you. I said, no, devil, no. You are not going to do this. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe in the midst of this. I'm going to accept this. And I am going to believe that God is in control no matter what. Because it was easy to abide when life was going my way. But when all hell broke loose, that was a whole different story. But I said, I will continue. I will dwell. I will endure, remain, stand, be stable. 
people and stand fast. Listen, I was determined not to let the enemy win. We're still coming out of that. What, I don't know, maybe like seven, eight months later. We're still finding our way out of that. But we remained and we stood in the difficult times. Listen to the antonym for abide. Decamp, escape, evacuate, get out, abandon, forsake, and vacate. Is that what you do when times get tough? Do you cease to abide? Do you take the easy way out when times get tough? I've had people tell me, I'm not in church because I can't come to church right now. Things are just difficult in my life. I just don't want to be around people. Why do people do that? Why do they do that? You, that's the time you need to be at church when you're going through difficult times. Don't escape. Don't vacate. Don't cease to abide. I want to say, what, what more reason could you have for being at church? So today, I encourage you, abide in worship. Let's not just go, do it on Sunday, but every day. Live in God's presence. Be a tabernacle worshiper. Don't give up on God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And don't let a day go by without praying to God. Call on him when you're down. Call on him when you're happy. Call on him when life is tough. And call on him when life is good. Call on him when you don't feel like it. And call on him when you do feel like it. And when you call on him, he will answer. And he will show you great and mighty things. Yes, he will. He will change your life. He will defeat your enemies. He will give you the victory. He will fill you with joy, joy overflowing. And he will heal your marriage. He will restore everything that you have lost. But you must get into his word and get his word into you. You must be a Bible reading Bible-believing child of God. And then when the hard times come, that word, it will just start to rise up in you. And you'll be, no, devil, no, devil. I've hidden the word of God in my heart so that I will not sin against him. Come on, ladies, you're going to get in that word. And when you do, Satan won't be able to defeat you because you have the word in your heart and a double-edged sword in your hand. Amen. If you want to abide, three keys. You must get in his word. You must worship. And you must pray. There is no other way. I want you to stand. What Before you do, I want you to take a minute before you stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. I want every head bowed. Every eye closed. You've heard the word today. The word has gone forth. And I have believed God that it will not return void. I don't want you to just go away today saying, that was a good word. I want you to go away changed. Don't get passive on me now. Don't let your mind wander. Don't be thinking about what we're going to have for lunch. Don't be thinking about, do you need to make a phone call? Let all that go. No distractions. Close everything off. Go into that inner place right now. And I want you to talk to Almighty God. And I want you to commit to Him that you're going to pray. 
and that you're going to worship and that you're going to get in his word. Remember, that's abide means you're going to live there, dwell there, continue there, remain there. But also remember, you can't do it in yourself. You have to have the life-giving flow of the Holy Spirit to energize you. He is the vine. You are the branch. Will you today seek him? And as you are sitting, when you feel like you have made that commitment to God, that God has heard you, that you have covenanted with God to be a woman of the word, worship, and prayer, and to abide, when you feel like you have uh, done business with God, then I want you to stand.